Are you looking for a mission-driven school that aims to educate leaders for business and society? Would you like to know how to get into that MBA program, which happens to be at the Yale School of Management? Tune in for this interview with its Assistant Dean for Admissions, Bruce Delmonico. Welcome to Admission Straight Talk, the podcast dedicated to graduate admissions and helping you approach the application process thoughtfully and successfully. Your host is Accepted's founder and world-renowned admissions guru, Linda Abraham. At Accepted, our mission is to get you to that unforgettable moment when you read your acceptance email and shout, yes, I'm in, confident you'll be attending the perfect program to help you launch the career of your dreams. Welcome to the 542nd episode of Admission Straight Talk. Thanks for tuning in. Sometimes I'm asked, is the MBA worth it? And my answer is, it depends on your individual circumstances, but I've got good news. We've developed a tool that will help you evaluate whether an MBA is worth it for you and your individual circumstances. And it also estimates by how much. Just go to accepted.com slash M-B-A-R-O-I. Again, it's accepted.com slash M-B-A-R-O-I and check out how much you're likely to benefit or not from taking an MBA education. And using the tool won't set you back even one cent because it's free. It gives me great pleasure to have back on Admission Straight Talk, Bruce Delmonico, Assistant Dean of Admissions at Yale School of Management. He's been on the admissions team at Yale since 2004. He became the director in 2006 and the Assistant Dean in 2012. He was last on Admission Straight Talk almost two years ago in November 2021. Bruce, welcome back to Admission Straight Talk. Thank you so much, Linda. It's great to be here. And I'm so pleased to have you join me today. Now, let's start with a basic overview of the Yale SOM MBA program for listeners who may not be that familiar with it. And if you could focus on the more distinctive or perhaps the newer elements of the program. Sure, happy to do that. So just briefly, we're, we're a, a two-year full-time in-residence MBA on the Yale campus in New Haven, Connecticut. And it, there are, you know, some things that you would you know, similar to other programs, some things I think a little bit distinctive, as you say. So when you join us at Yale for your two years, the first year is primarily our core curriculum. And then you start to take electives in the spring of the first year and your entire second year are all electives. And I would say a couple of the distinctive things. First of all, our, our integrated curriculum in the core, uh, I think is a little bit different than what you might experience in other MBA programs, the way the material is organized. A lot of the same concepts and in, in, in material, but but organized differently and presented differently. And we think it teaches you to, to learn and think differently. Uh, in addition, I mentioned the electives. You, you can take those across Yale without limit. And uh, and there are other, other features of the program that I think really heighten the connectivity to the larger Yale community. I think that's one of the nice features of being at in an institution like Yale is taking advantage of all the resources that the entire university has to offer. So I think that's a, another distinctive aspect of our program. And I think uh, a third thing I would point to uh, is our, our global footprint. Um, you know, a lot of MBA programs have global programming. And I think the way that we've assembled our global network for advanced management and the kind of opportunities that, that flow from that, I think, are rather unique. And I think do give our students a rather a special a global perspective um, in their two years with us at Yale. It was a great summary. Thank you. Now, you mentioned the global network. Yale was a leader yeah. in global education for its students innovating before the pandemic. The global network for advanced management, which allowed students to take classes around the world from New Haven. Yeah. It also had several study abroad programs. Now that the pandemic seems to be behind us, we're hopeful. <laughs> what are the global study options at Yale? Can you go into that a little bit more? Sure, happy to do that. Knock on wood about the pandemic, of course. Yeah, so so pre-pandemic, we had this sort of portfolio of, of global opportunities. Where in 
and you mentioned the Global Network for Advanced Management. That was probably the centerpiece of it all, uh, but there were others as well. The pandemic, uh, obviously, understandably caused us to sort of pull back on that. There were still some virtual opportunities that existed that, that continued, but the in-person pieces had to be put on hold, and now those are back. And so it's really, as I mentioned, it's kind of a menu of opportunities that exist. We do have what we call our Global Studies requirements, so when you come to Yale for your MBA, you do need to complete at least one Global Studies opportunity that exists. Um, lots of students will do more than one, and, and the idea is we want our, our, our graduates to have that global perspective, that global mindset. And so, again, m- many of these opportunities exist through the Global Network for Advanced Management, or GNM as we call it, which is a, a, a network of 30 or so top MBA programs from around the world. And we, we kind of assembled these. It's been a, about a, a decade or so at this point, uh, and it's now a self-running, self-sustaining entity. And the idea is that through the Global Network, there are what we call more modular uh, opportunities to experience learning and, and business in, in other countries, other, other regions, other, other parts of the world. And so the idea is that in certain points in the fall and the spring, there are these week-long, week-to-10-day-long opportunities to take classes at one of the other global network schools with students from all the other participating global network schools. So it could be up to 30 students from 30 other, other uh, business schools, peer schools. And the idea is to really it's not a one-to-one relationship like a lot of other uh, business schools have put into place, but it's a, it's a, it's a many-to-many relationship. And the idea is it really amplifies the connections you're able to make, the learning that happens, and the, the, the ways in which you're really to, able to expand your, your mindset. So that's, those, those Global Network Weeks are, are one of those opportun- of the Global Network opportunities. We also have the virtual opportunities through the Global Network, which I mentioned, which are similar. They're semester-long courses that you will take virtually with students from the other global network schools. Uh, we also have our own international experience trips that we that we organize that are run. I think some of the schools have this. These are, again, sort of 10, 10 day to two week trips run by one of our faculty members to one or more different countries around the globe. It's a group of about 20 or so students. Um, you meet with business leaders, government leaders, heads of nonprofits. Uh, again, the idea is to get a sense of the sort of the, the business or legal, regulatory, cultural context in which business operates in, in different parts of the world to get a, a fuller understanding and sensitivity to those, those differences. Um, and those are very highly rated. Those, again, happen in between when the spring, when in between the, the during spring break when classes are not in session. We also have some experiential opportunities that are global in nature. So our, our Global Social Enterprise or GSC course, uh, Global Social Entrepreneurship in India and others. And those are uh, courses where you are academic in nature, you're taking classes, but then part of it is consulting to, you know, social enterprises in, in other parts of the world or social entrepreneurs in India or elsewhere. There are other courses as well. So these are more experiential in nature. And then the final thing I would say is we have our semester-long exchanges with some, some key exchange partners. And that's if you want a, a longer, more immersive experience, uh, those opportunities exist as well. So those are, the, the, again, the, the, the portfolio, the menu, as it were, it is, yeah. options that exist. Um, and one one thing I would point out is when you come to Yale, these are global studies requirements. So you do have to take at least one, but you can take more of these. You actually get a global studies account when you come to Yale that actually helps pay for the cost of these uh, opportunities because we didn't feel like it made sense to make this requirement and then then to not give you the ability to actually undertake them. And so when you you know when you pay tuition, you actually get several thousand dollars back to be able to pay into an account to help pay for these uh, these different. Um, possible trips and opportunities. That's great. That's great. Just back onto the, the, the network. Okay. So that's, it's, it is possible. I I know you have many different schools. I don't remember all of them, but let's say you, you enroll in a network 
uh, class, you could be taking yeah. students. There, there could be students from a school in France, a school in Africa, a school in Asia, a school in Canada or South America, all taking the same class. Exactly. That's exactly right. So it's not just like if you go to Coach University in Turkey, you're not just you're taking courses from faculty for ed coach. But, yeah, you could have students from, you know, Igade, uh, from, you know, from FGV in Brazil, from Renmin in China, from Ashese, from like, you know, all of a whole host you know, of business schools from around the world. And so that's that's part of it. I think the unique feature, I think the part of the compelling aspect of, of this programming. Yeah, I don't know of any, any other similar program. So uh, obviously everybody participating and participating. So it's not it's not unique to Yale, but by its nature, yeah. but um, it's it's it is a distinctive, if not unique, program. Now I noticed yeah. in preparing for the call that throughout the site there is an emphasis on the mission on, on SOM's mission of educating leaders for business and society. How is that mission right. manifested in the program and the curriculum? This is the founding mission of the school, as you said, to educate leaders for business and society. It's a very broad, multi-sector mission. Uh, we do we do have our you know we aspire for our, our graduates to have impact not just in the private sector but the public and nonprofit sectors. I think that's one piece of it. And and to really think about, you know, again, not just the benefits that they can accrue to themselves, but kind of the, the positive impact they can have on their organizations and their communities and in, in the world more generally. And I think the way that that manifests itself as you, in, in terms of your question in, in on campus, I think the curriculum is part of it. I, I did touch on the integrated curriculum earlier and uh, I, that is, again, the first year core curriculum, I, I think it is quite distinctive. And the material, as I said, is organized differently than uh, than other schools organize or the, the, the traditional MBA curriculum, the way that would be organized. And again, the idea was to break down functional silos and not teach just according to discipline, but work across functions um, and, uh, and, uh, and, across, uh, uh, and across disciplines to have our students think very broadly about the ways that uh, different concepts, different you know, functions of an organization interrelate, even different industries, di- different sectors. And so the idea, as an example, we have sort of the heart of the first year core curriculum are our organizational perspectives classes, and they're organized by key stakeholder perspectives. So, and, you know, the sort of customer, the, uh, the innovator, the employee, the investor, uh, and others are about a dozen of them. And as an example, you know, the customer class, for example, in, in, the, in our, the Yale core curriculum is, would be most analogous to a marketing class in a traditional MBA curriculum. Uh, but in a marketing class, you're, 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 the perspective is very, very narrow. You're sort of looking at the, you know, learning the four Ps, you're learning how to kind of, you know, take your product, identify the market, market space and sort of get your mm-hmm. product in that space. It's an important set of skills, very narrow. The customer class, Includes the sort of those marketing concepts, but it you know it really thinks more broadly about all aspects of an organization that influence the customer experience. So it's kind of thinking about sort of the, the four P's, but it's also thinking about you know operations and accounting and technology and sort of HR and how all those are influence the customer experience. How those are all those how those are all interrelated, and how you need to think as a leader how you need to think about them all together. And so there are, you know, all the stakeholder classes are taught like that. And then we have a, a capstone class called the executive, where you think about all the perspectives together combined and thinking about as an executive, how you need to have all these different pieces in, 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 in your head and thinking about them uh, collectively as you're making decisions. So that's the, the, I think the curriculum is really trying to teach our, our students to be very sort of interdisciplinary, kind of broad, curious um, thinkers and leaders. I think that, and I can talk more about certain aspects of that. So I think that's part of it. And again, mentioning the the global piece that we just we just talked about, very mission aligned. But the other thing I would say, again, the connection to Yale, 
it speaks to the interdisciplinary nature, the, the broad-mindedness we expect, the kind of a, a mindset and approach we want our, our graduates to have. I think that's all aligned with the mission. It's, it's very much a sort of service-oriented approach. And think, as I said, thinking about the kind of positive impact you can have on the world around you and, and thinking very broadly about what that kind of impact can be. So I think that kind of underlies the things we're doing both in the classroom and outside of it at Yale. Okay, great. Now let's turn to the application process and admissions. Yale has an yeah. innovative and multifaceted application, and it requires the GMAT, the GRE, or the EA, an essay, a resume, a video, behavioral assessment, and an interview, if lucky enough to be invited to interview. Now, the behavioral assessment is fairly new and, again, distinctive on the MBA scene. What's the format for the behavioral assessment? What's the reason for it? Why? And um, how can one sign up for it? Yeah, yeah. So the behavioral assessment, I want that clarification. So in terms of the, the standardized test, the GMAT, GRA, the EA, we accept for the executive MBA, not oh, for the full-time. Okay. So that's Thank one, you. Just Thank one you. small clarification. Behavioral assessment is an, it's an, it's an additional component. There's nothing you need to do to sign up for it. When you apply to, to Yale, after you, uh, your initial submission, you will get access to the behavioral assessment as a, as a next stage. It's, it's part of the initial submission, but it happens after you click submit. And yeah, the, we've been Developing, gosh, again, developing for probably a decade or more this 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 instrument in conjunction with ETS, uh, which is the organization that that runs the the GRE, and we've had it in place for you know maybe five or, or more years. The idea is, I think it's often confused for what you, what would be considered like a, a soft skills test or an emotional intelligence test. It's not really that. It measures a set of intra and interpersonal competencies that we use to actually evaluate your academic preparation for the program. Academic um, preparation? People, yeah, it's not how people think of it. Um, right. It's not, it's, it, but the idea is it actually, and the motivation behind it is that we have lots of great candidates who apply to Yale and some who are, you know, based on their grades and, and test scores, you know, have shown certain level of academic preparation. Some people who maybe, but based on the grades and scores, maybe don't, haven't shown as much evidence of preparation, but have other aspects of their candidacy that we really are very enthusiastic about and would love to, to bring into the program. And the behavioral assessment allows us to have additional information about their academic potential that will give us more comfort about their performance in the program above and beyond grades and scores. So it allows us actually to broaden the range of candidates we can bring into the program beyond just looking at things like grades and scores. It's, it's, it's actually helping us broaden the base of, of, of our evaluation, increase the inputs. So that's why it's not specifically like an, an EQ or a soft skills. It's actually something that informs our, our academic evaluation. And, and what the assessment actually is, it's interesting. It's a, it's a forced choice test, which means you get 130 pairs of statements you know, in, in sequence, and you need to Choose which pair of statements most describes you. So there might be two positive statements, two negative statements. Those are tougher to, to say which one's most like you, but they're both negative. But it's, you know, just describing behaviors. Like I, I like to have lots of free time, or I like to keep a clean desk, or I'm always on time for meetings, or I'm, you know, all the, you know, different qualities. There are different, different descriptors, and you choose which one is more like you of the pair. And then you go through 130 of those pairs, and it's adaptive, and it'll create a profile uh, that we then use to help, again, inform our evaluation of your, your academic preparation for the program. Uh, so that's basically how it works. It sounds almost like it's a, more of a professionalism 
assessment? Well, it, 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 there are lots of different dimensions that it's assessing, and right. we look at certain subset of those assessed. It developed, not to get too far into the, the background, yeah. it was developed actually by the U.S. military for uh, officer development. So it's used, in, as you say, it's used in the professional development context most commonly. We've taken it and uh, you know adapted it with each with ETS for the sort of the high stakes admissions context, but it has was mostly developed in and still is used in in, ter, in the development context, the professional development context. Okay, great. Um, medical schools have a, a lot of are increasingly turn, turning towards what they call it. They call it a situational judgment test. So it doesn't sound like yeah. it's identical, but it sounds like it's somewhat similar. I think that's right. Yeah, yeah. And medical schools tend to be as I said, they tend to be a real interesting um, space for innovation in the in the admissions process. Um, we yeah. have we've we talk with med schools and kind of keep an eye on what they're doing uh, a lot just because it's an interesting sort right. of uh, interaction. I actually interviewed for the podcast, Dr. Kelly Dorr, who's a co-founder of Acuity Insights, which provides the CASPER exam. Mm-hmm. And that was, I think, one of the first situational judgment tests. It was fascinating talking to her. Yeah. She's just really interesting what they're trying to do. Yeah. Now, um, getting back to Yale, what changes have you made to the MBA application process this year? Yeah, we've made a few. Probably the biggest one, the one that's most notable, is we did not completely change, but we expanded our essay questions. So, uh, for the last seven or eight years, we had uh, a single essay question, uh, which was describe your biggest commitment. Uh, we've kept that, but we've added two other prompts and given kids the choice to choose, choose which of the three prompts they want to write about. So it's still just one essay question, but instead of everyone writing about the commitment, we've also asked, added an essay question about uh, the most meaningful community uh, you've been a part of, and sort of the, the greatest challenge you face. Those are the other two prompts. And so you get to choose which of those three you want to write about. So that's probably the biggest change and probably the most visible change. And the motivation behind that was really we, we, we want to hear uh, from, from candidates about this, what matters the most to them. And for some, it might be the commitment, but it might be community or challenge. And so we wanted to really sort of expand the options for candidates and give them more choice. Uh, in in what to write about, so that they can write about the thing that truly is the most meaningful to them, instead of having to kind of, I kind of fit it into the commitment essay and kind of for, force fit it. You can actually write about something maybe more nat- more naturally aligned with one of the other prompts. Um, so that's the big thing. We we did also do a few, we've done a few other things. We do things every year. Sure. We expanded the background information section that we we asked about to get more information about the context in which you're applying. So that's been a thing that's been evolving over a number of years, and we did more more work there this year. Um, we continue to get lots of applicants who have some entrepreneurial experience in their background, and so we get continue to uh, expand and kind of uh, evolve the the questions that, that speak to uh, entrepreneurial backgrounds. Um, in, in conjunction with uh, Kyle Jensen, who is the executive director of our, our entrepreneurship center, so those are among the things that we've we've done. Probably the most notable things we've done for, with this this current year application. Okay, great answer. Thank you. I was going through Yale SOM's application guide, which is excellent. Listeners, those of you who are applying to Yale, that is absolutely mandatory reading. And for non-applicants to Yale, you'll still get a lot of good advice out of it. So I recommend it highly. Now, Bruce, it seems that you have an optional information question and a background information question and supplemental detail area. Uh, background information is required. What's the difference between these three elements? How would you like an applicant to use the three areas? 
Yeah, no, that's uh, it's a great question. I don't, the background information isn't completely required, so it's, it's, it is optional. So it, as is the optional information. So what we did was, and, and one of the things we did do this year, I guess one of the other big changes is we did update our instructions and really tried to, and I don't know, Linda, if you've had a chance to kind of take a walk through the application yet, but you'll notice uh, if you do that we, we start by, you know, each, each section of the application, the first thing we say, there's actually heading said why we're asking. Because we, we want kids to know, like, why are we asking for this information? I think it's something that, you know, a lot of applications just get straight to do this, do that, do the other thing. But we want to help you understand, like, why we're actually asking for the information. And we did spell out in a little more detail what we're asking for in each of these sections. So they're, they're not necessarily required. But the thing that we did in these, uh, the, the, you know, the background information, the optional information, there's also, you know, in the supplemental information in the, in the work experience section is we tried to spell out where to include which pieces of information. So, for example, okay. employment gaps and other aspects of, of your employment that re might require sort of additional information, you know, we, we, we identified where to put that instead of saying just, the, instead of the optional information being a kind of a free-for-all of, of information, we wanted to divide and partly this is for the evaluators to probably think it's to elicit information more consistently from applicants so that, you know, we're getting this, you know, similar information in the same way, uh, in the same place from, from all applicants. So to be consistent among applicants to, and so that we can be more consistent in our review of your application sure. so that we're looking at the applicants the same way uh, across applications, knowing where to look, what's there, making sure we're getting it consistently. Uh, makes a big difference, and so that's that's a lot of why we did update things in this way uh, for the upcoming uh, for the current cycle. It also makes it if you if you wanted to say you were to look back on an application, you want to look at check a particular piece of information, then you would know where to find it. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. So instead of having to just it, it used to be just the optional information, and we would have to kind of dig into that, and sometimes it was there, sometimes it wasn't. Now we know to where to look, and we're more clear about what information we're seeking from you as an applicant. So it's more, it's easier, hopefully easier for you as an applicant, more straightforward and less of a, well, what do I put here? What do I put there? Do I put anything here? So the idea is to, again, make it a little more transparent, a little clearer, more straightforward. Sounds good. Sounds like a great, great idea. Any tips for the video component? Yeah. So that's, a, I guess that's another somewhat unique. I know there are other schools to do this uh, aspect of the application, like the behavioral assessment. The, the the video is a component that happens after you, you click submit. So after your initial submission, you get access both to behavioral assessment and to the video questions. And those are, and for those who don't know, it's there are three uh, pre-recorded questions that we've recorded in advance. When you uh, get access to the, the platform, you can, you can sort of test, do some test questions, but then you'll ask, you'll be asked these three questions. They're, they're drawn from a a, a pool of, of questions that, that are randomly assigned to you, and you, you answer the questions using your, you know, you know your webcam, um, audio, video. They are recorded in, in real time, though, so they're in-the-moment responses to the, the prompts that we have pre-recorded, and then those are responses are saved uh, and added to your file, and they're part of your, again, initial submission. So we, give a, we don't start reviewing until after the behavioral assessment and the video questions have been completed, then we will start our review of your application. In terms of tips for that, I feel like when we first uh, first uh, rolled these out, how many of our years ago, I think people were less sure what to expect. And I think now they do other schools, some other schools are doing it. It's a little more common. I think certainly post pandemic, I think being on Zoom and being like engaging on by video is, is not a, a big deal anymore. Right. Um, so I think they, they might seem a little more second nature, but the idea here is, 
We're just trying to get a little bit of a better sense of you beyond your just written submission from the application. The questions themselves are not meant to be trick questions or stump you. It's just to get a little bit more of a sense of you, your goals, your interest in the MBA. Well, we change the questions you know, every, every, every year or so. Um, so they might be something behavioral in nature. Uh, the, the key way to prepare is if you want to prepare, which you don't need to do much of, but just go go back through your your resume and you know think of some successes and failures. The same way you would prepare for an, an interview, the the questions are not necessarily going to be all interview oriented, but it's pretty pretty straightforward. I guess the last thing is you I would say is you know, it, it takes like the behavioral assessment, which takes about 20 25 minutes. That's how long the the video questions take to complete, so they don't take a lot of time. We're not expecting perfection. We know these are you're doing these live in the moment. So they're extemporaneous responses. They're not, you know, you're not recording a, a like a, a video essay. And so we know that they're not going to be perfect. We're just lo- looking to get a little bit of a better sense of you. And we use it with a light touch, as we say, I think in the in application guide, we might even use those words. Um, it's not going to be a main driver, a heavy driver in the outcome. It's just to get a little bit of a better sense of you. What can applicants expect if they're lucky enough to be invited to interview? Yeah. So as you said, so interviews by invitation. So everybody completes the the video questions. Everyone completes the behavior assessment. And then we begin our review. And we we will invite, depending on the year, maybe about a, a third or so of uh, applicants to interview. And interviews are either come to campus, you're invited to come to campus, or you can do a virtual interview. They're largely with trained second years or very recent alumni who were themselves is interviewers as students. Sometimes uh, those of us who are on the admissions team will, will do the interviews, but we do fewer than the students and the, and the recent alums. The interview itself, again, much like the video questions, not meant to be, they're not stress interviews, they're not meant to tr- trick you or stump you or kind of be a, an unpleasant experience. Uh, the idea is really to get more of a sense of uh, typically your, again, your M- reasons for wanting to get an MBA, reasons for Yale, things thinking about your, your post-MBA uh, aspirations, a little bit about, you know, your experiences to date, um, things that you're, you know, successes that you've had, maybe some ways in which you engage with others. So there, you know, it's a typical, I think, behavioral interview format um, that you'll probably see at other other uh, other schools in kind of a job context. So again, to, the way to prepare, and it's a 30-minute interview, I should say. So it's pretty brisk, but it will hopefully we cover a good bit of ground in that and obviously save room for you to ask questions yourself. But the, the way to prepare again is to go through your application, go through your essay, go through your resume, have examples again of things, uh, things, accomplishments that you're you're proud of, ways in you which are engaged on projects. Um, those are the kinds of things in, in, in the behavioral context that we're asking about. So again, it's uh, it's uh, meant to be not sort of difficult, but really more, more of a conversation is, is the hope. Uh, in a way to get, sort of get to know us and our community, and at the same time we're getting to know you. So, so a little bit about the, the 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 interview process. Great, thank you, thank you very much. Now, the when you talk about behavioral interviews, it'd be a lot of questions like, "Tell us about a time when you did X, Y, and Z," right? Exactly. Yes, I guess I did. I said behavioral interview, but I didn't say what that. I think most people for. know what it is, but just just in case, yeah. I I thought I'd I'd clarify. I, I again, I, no, I agree with you. I think most people know what it is. Yeah, but not everybody. And it's just to get sense. That's why I think I, I think to prepare, you can think about examples of times when you did that. So it's less it's less how would you do this or less theoretical and more like how did you handle? Tell us about a time when you did X, Y, or Z. Exactly. Right. Right. Okay. Now, when we last spoke, it was almost two years ago. It was the middle of the COVID pandemic, and that was the environment in which you and I talked at that time. Today's environment right. has its own noteworthy developments, specifically. AI and ChatGPT. 
Are you concerned yeah. about their impact on the essays? How would you advise applicants to use or not use ChatGPT and AI? Yeah, I, that's it's really it's kind of like the uh, I don't know it's the I, it's I, not I the elephant in the room. It's already question. out of the room. <laughs> yeah, no, I was gonna, I was going to say sixty four thousand dollar question, but I think that's what's dating myself. That's the fact that that's the dollar amount that I would reference. Still an open question. I know we are talking in various contexts to sort of other schools and how are you, how they're approaching it and 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 sort of seeing what's in the the, the popular press and elsewhere. It'll be interesting to see how it evolves. My personal take, you know, we. We want to hear from you. So the main thing is 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 hearing from you in your voice about you know the in the essay specifically what matters to you, whether it's the commitment, the community, or the challenge. I I don't know. I guess the two things I say we're you know this isn't a writing contest. You know we're not. This isn't a literature program. We want to make sure you can communicate in writing, but we're not going to be you know marking you up if you're a, a Hemingway as opposed to a, I don't know what. Um, so, Write an MBSA in Hemingway style or Shakespeare style. Or... Exactly. I mean, you could actually do that, I guess, with the, the, the ChatGPT. Um, but we're, you know, that's not going to earn extra points. So if the, if the point is to have something, you know, right for you, that's, I don't think that that already exists. We already have, you could already have, uh, I guess, programs to do that. But if the idea is to tell you what to write about, I don't know if there's any benefit from having a, a you know, a, a computer program um, tell you what matters to you, uh, and 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 certainly they're not not going to know what matters to you. So I, I don't know. I I guess I question the utility in this context, uh, even though I'm sure people will. And and we, I think we 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 do say that we. I guess the straightforward answer is we do tell people that that they should be their entirely their own work. So that would suggest don't use ChatGPT or any other kind of AI enabled sort of functionality. But also, even aside from that, I don't know the utility of that. It's 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 you know, we want to hear from you. We care about what you have to say. We don't, again, what some large language model has to say about you. I don't know how relevant that is. So I guess our instructions say don't do it. Uh, but even if you were to do something with uh, with ChatGPT, I don't know what you would get out of it. But we'll see. I could be, I could be yeah. wrong. It'd be an interesting cycle. What, um, yeah. well, two, and I've said this before on the podcast, so listeners, forgive me if I'm repeating myself. I, I tried it out at one point and, and got absolute drivel. <laughs> it was it was utterly yeah. worthless. And uh, it was not a reflection of anything other than what they thought people should write. You know, it didn't reflect anything of me. And then the other thing was um, uh, one of the consultants who happens to have a master's in journalism decided to use it to see if she could write a, a MBA essay with it. Now, obviously, she's a gifted writer and she knows what a good MBA essay is. And she said it took her longer to use ChatGPT to get it to a point where she'd given it enough information that it could produce an essay that it would have taken her to just write the essay herself. So yeah, I could I could believe that. I mean, obviously these are the, the programs are evolving quickly. I don't know if we're on Chat GPT four and then if five is coming in. Mm-hmm. Obviously there are other other pro- programs being developed elsewhere, but. At the same time, yeah, I think that that that, that advice and that that experience holds. We we put it. Some of our, the, our my team have put you know our essay prompt into uh, into it and to see what they will come up with. And you know, it yeah. requires a lot more work just to get it where you want it to be. So yeah, yeah, might be a, a very good uh, grammar checker. I don't know, <laughs> but uh, yeah. you already have that in Word. So anyways, right, exactly. What advice would you give reapplicants to Yale SOM? Yeah, I think the, the main thing we and we do have a 
I'm trying to remember the percentage. I think it might be about, might be, worked through a number, I think it might be about 10% of our applicable reapplicants. So it's not an uncommon thing. Um, the first thing I would say is there, you know, there's no stigma or bias to, to reapplying. We, you know, the, we look at reapplicants the same we look at first-time applicants. If anything, you might have a little bit of a leg up because you've gone through the process once you know what to expect and maybe you've had a chance to refine your application from one year to the next. The, I guess the, what I would say in terms of how to approach it is think, you know, we're not inherently going to be looking back at your previous application, but we will have it available. So think about your subsequent application as a bit of a conversation with your previous previous application in the sense that you want to build from it. You don't want to be what you submit to be exactly the same as the previous one, but you also don't want it to be so different that it looks like a completely different applicant. So don't feel as though, you know, it's not as though you should, you in your previous application, you want to be an investment banker and now you want to, you know, be a social entrepreneur, like going from one extreme to the other, that's not that those are extremes necessarily, but going going from one thing to another is not not necessarily what will what what will serve you well. So think about you know what your previous application may be built from that and and kind of think about how you might be able to kind of refine in, in maybe more subtle ways or more 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 limited ways from 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 what you had previously submitted. Now I mean you've been doing this for a while. I think you've been in admissions now for almost 20 years, right? Not not yeah. quite, but almost. What are some common mistakes that you see? You kind of wish, oh gee, are they doing that again? <laughs> Can't they not do that? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there are, I've seen some stuff, I guess that's true. <laughs> I'm years, sure you have. I've seen some things, and there are definitely some, maybe, maybe after this is over, we can, we can compare notes. Um, <laughs> but there, I guess there are mistakes that exist on different different levels. There Obviously, there's the much more sort of fine-grained, you know, the proofreading, the, the attention to detail that, you know, you'll hear often, like, make sure you're, you know, if you're, you know, you've got the right school that you're referencing in your in your essay and elsewhere. Um, those are the more straightforward things. In terms of other mistakes, I I think there are a few that are more more common. And one to say maybe gets back to the chat GPT. I don't know. I I do feel as though we see less of this, but over my time, I still see in admissions, I I still see it happening that applicants will present the version of themselves that they think we care about or that we want to see, you know, they'll say, well, this school is really known for this thing. So that's what I'm going to be to this school. And this other school is known for this other thing. So I'm going to be that, that thing to that school. Um, and this third school is going to be, is a completely different altogether. So I've got this third version of myself that I'm going to present. And I, I have to say, again, I feel like just, in, you know, not that based on any kind of strict analysis, but just kind of intuitively, I feel as though that kind of shading has happened less now than it used to, but it still happens. And, and I, I don't know that it serves applicants well. I think you're, the, the idea behind it is to try and make your application more compelling and to stand out more. And the first thing I would say is, you know, if, you, if there's a certain number of candidates who are trying to do that, you're all just sounding like yourself, uh, like each other. And so that's not with the way to stand out from a, like a game theory perspective. And the other thing is I do believe, and this is, you know, I have a sort of a literature background and, I, and a, a somewhat of a writing background. I do believe that when you write, you write most compellingly about things that mean something to you that you care about. Yeah. And I think that applies kind of to, to the application more generally. If you're presenting the, ver the version of yourself that is most, you, is really you and that you most care about, like that's gonna, what's going to come through regardless of what you say you want to do after you graduate or what, you know, what your, you know, what your, you know, academic background looks like. If you're, if you're really being 
your, yourself and, and, and presenting what, what matters to you, that's the thing that will stand out. So to the extent people deviate from that, I think that's, that's a, a big mistake. And then one other mistake, I don't want to go on too long, but frankly, one of the mistakes that people make, I think, is not in the application, but in not applying. I think people will still sometimes undermatch. And this happens at undergraduate. I think it happens in the MBA as well. I think there's a sense that, gosh, I need to be, you know, looking at the class profile or just thinking, you know, independent of that, I, I need to be perfect score, perfect grades, perfect, perfect work experience. Otherwise, I'm not going to be competitive. And, you know, everybody has strengths and weaknesses. And I think people, you know, it, it, there's no harm if you have a school that you're interested in, but you're looking at the profile, class profile, like, oh, gosh, I don't, I'm not above it on every front. Well, nobody is. So that's one thing. But I, I, I don't, I think there's a little bit of self-selection out more than there should be uh, at this stage. So that's not about a mistake in the application process, but that's a mistake in not applying. Why reject yourself? Exactly. Let, let, let you yeah. do that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. that's, that's what I'm here for. <laughs> right. Or, or give yourself a chance of acceptance, obviously. No, but no, uh, that's no, that was, that's, uh, was a great response. In terms of enthusiasm, yeah, I completely agree with you. It's so much easier to be enthusiastic about something that you feel enthusiastic about. Right. And it does show in all kinds of ways when one is kind of going through the motions, especially if you've yeah. been doing this for a while. Yeah, I think, just not to believe I think, I might have mentioned this to you before. I might have shared this, but one of my favorite admissions, I have an admissions cartoon that's framed in it from the New Yorker. And it's a father and son outside of a door that says admissions. Uh, and the, the line is the father's talking to the son saying, now remember, be the yourself we talked about. Uh, <laughs> I think you did yeah. tell me that's a good, but it's a very good one. One of my first clients ever, lovely, was a lovely young woman. She was actually applying to law school. And it was mm-hmm. a time before everything was virtual, she actually came to my office and I, I met her and we were talking and she says, I want to talk about my trip to this particular location. I'm not going to say which one. And I said, oh, that's very nice. When when did you go there? She says, I've never been there. I said, well, then how do you want to write about your trip? She says, well, I have nothing interesting to write about. And and I said, well, how are you going to write about it? I know many people who've gone there. I went, so, and she was going on and she saw me looking at her with utter shock and skepticism. And I said, do you have a creative writing background? She said, no. I said, well, neither do I. Why don't we talk about what you've done instead of what you haven't done? And she ended up writing a beautiful essay. It, it, this was right after, this was shortly after, not right after the 1994 earthquake in LA. And she was in yeah. a part of, yeah. the, of the city that was badly hit by it. And mm. she tied it into different experiences I think and and the you know I think it's still on the on the site frankly. It was just yeah. an excellent excellent essay in the end and um she got in where she wanted and you know was was very happy but I'll I'll never forget that. I mean it, it must be almost 20 you know 27 years ago that this happened but I was yeah. like you have a creative writing background well then let's talk about what you've done. And and she did yeah. and it it ended up being an outstanding essay and and I think again because it was genuine because it was from the heart because she really felt it again we we had a good structure for it that's where I was I don't think I was helpful to her but she did she did a great job and she didn't have to yeah, make anything sure. up yeah no that's a great example and it still sticks with you twenty seven years later so yes it does yeah how important that is right. What advice do you have for applicants planning ahead for a possible application this fall? I mean, I think one thing I would say is just sort of talk to people. 
you know, learn, learn about the schools. Think about, I mean, think about, think, I guess, stepping back, think about what matters to you. Think about what you care about, what you're hoping to get out of an MBA. Uh, And then based on that, think about where, you know, where you might be able to do that. And there are probably a lot of places and, but think about the, you know, think about the things that matter and the places where that, you know, those, you could, you could develop those things or, you know, whatever the, whatever dimensions those are. And then, and then talk to people, talk to, you know, you can talk to admissions officers, you can talk to students. A lot of us, uh, our schools have, uh, we'll give you access to our, our, our students on through, on like the website, we'll have our, we have student ambassadors, other schools do as well. You know, where you're working, you might know some MBA alums, talk to them, get a sense of their experience, what, what mattered to them, what, you know, what they got out of it that can help you refine your thinking. I think these, all these conversations can be helpful as you're doing your research and thinking about what you're, why, why the MBA, what you're, what you're hoping to accomplish and, and what, how it will help you in your, your long-term Sort of professional path. Um, so that's some of what I would say. And, and obviously, we can, you know, the application itself is uh, a whole other story. But I think as you're as you're thinking, as you're planning, I think those are hopefully helpful, helpful exercises and helpful conversations. I think it's great advice. Thank you. What would you have liked me to ask you? Oh gosh, uh, I, you, we covered so much. Uh, mm-hmm. I feel like I mean, you always do such a, a wonderful, thorough job of, of sort of getting at lots of different things in the, the interviews. Uh, no, I mean, I think one thing maybe that we didn't get to is, is you know, what's what's happening, you know, now, yeah, or what's that coming down the road? Uh, okay. And, and, you know, and I don't, I mean, I don't, that's always a tough question because I don't always know everything that's coming down the road, but I, one thing I would What do you know about? <laughs> yeah, what I know about, we are looking to and starting to, and this has been something we've been working on for a while, is engage more with our engineering department here at Yale. I talked about sort of the ways in which we're connected to the other parts of the university. And we didn't talk about things like joint degree programs, which we have with the law school and the right. medical school and public health and uh, international affairs and drama and architecture and the environment school and all the different wonderful programs yeah. uh, here at Yale. Um, but one area that we haven't had as much engagement with is engineering, and that's happening. We're going to be starting a, a program starting within Yale itself, but I'm hoping that we'll expand beyond just the the, the, the limits of Yale to, to be able to help our students and our graduates who are really thinking about sort of careers in, in technology. A joint MSMBA? I don't know. That's not that's not what it is yet. Um, but I'm hoping that that might be where it leads to. It's it's now just a one year master's um, starting internally at Yale. It'll be I don't actually know it's been announced yet, so I probably shouldn't have even said anything. But it will be coming. So. Uh, uh, um, so just more broadly, maybe independent of the program or anything like that, specific programmatic offerings, more just the relationship with engineering is something that we're looking to expand uh, more more broadly. And that you think will come out this this application cycle or more for next application cycle? Or do you know? Uh, I think I've already said too much. So <laughs> okay, all right. I won't ask anymore. I won't ask anymore. No, maybe I think this I think this this cycle is is when it will start. So we'll we'll see how that goes. Okay, great. Anything and we'll, else? And we'll take it from there. Okay. I think those are the main things. I did. Uh, I did, though. I, you know, I hadn't thought about that. Talking about the joint degrees. Talking about it's consistent with the, the you know, the integration with the university and the ability to take classes yeah. elsewhere at, at Yale. Uh, but it's one specific aspect of it that I think is really can be meaningful to people uh, in, in their in their studies and if they're especially if they're looking to go in a in a direction that is kind of sort of interstitial of sorts that kind of crosses over different disciplines. Um, so that is one thing um, that was maybe good to to touch on in that the context of that that answer. Well, I'm really glad you raised it. Thank you. Thank you for joining me today. Where can listeners and potential applicants learn more about Yale SOM's MBA program? I think our website, which is som.yale.edu, is probably the easiest way. And that's got lots of information, both 
generally about the school, but also there's a section for admissions and for, for other parts of the, of the, of the organization. So um, that would be the best place. Okay, great. We'll include links in the show notes at accept.com slash 542 for the sites that Bruce just mentioned, as well as to the related articles and show notes and the application guide that I was touting before. It's it's really excellent. Listener, thank you too for joining Bruce Delmonico and me for our 542nd episode. If you find the show worthwhile, I have a suggestion for you. Tell your MBA applicant friends. They'll thank you and so do I. Quick reminder, check out Accepted's free MBA ROI calculator at accepted.com slash MBA ROI. Thanks again for coming. This is Admission Straight Talk produced by Accepted, and I am your host, Linda Abraham. I'll talk to you again next week. <music>